today was supposed to be a pretty normal Sunday, pretty normal child dedication service, but I feel like normal has kind of left the building in a lot of ways um, at Lakeside. Uh, we make our preaching schedule a couple months in advance, so I was scheduled to do this, and Pastor Dave called me a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, you, you don't have to go up there if you don't want to. And I told him I feel like I, I need to because I want to have just an important conversation with our church family. And that was, that was reinforced for me uh, Friday night, just 48 hours ago. I was at a conference, and uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Pat uh, Nemers from Sailorville Church was speaking. And he said one thing he tells people who are suffering, as he would put it, the way to break out of your funk is to go minister to somebody else. So that's, that's what I'm doing today. That's cemented why I need to come talk with you. And for our visitors today, I need to give you a little context. Um, four weeks ago yesterday, our 21-year-old daughter with special needs, Katie, passed away unexpectedly. And it's still surreal just to even say it out loud. And she leaves a, a giant hole, not just in our family, but here at Lakeside. Uh, Katie made herself the unofficial greeter and mascot, no matter where she went. And she was one of our most enthusiastic worshipers during the music service every Sunday. In the last few weeks, um, the book of the Bible that has really been coming to mind to me a lot is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes cuts right to the heart of the human experience, which means it has a lot of hard truth in it. But it's truth we have to listen to. And, and here's one of those truths from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The author is saying, like it or not, feasting isn't bad, but it doesn't teach us much. Mourning, on the other hand, forces us to realize things. It forces us to realize things that either we won't think about because we don't want to even put them in our minds, or we just can't because we don't understand them until we're there. And I would certainly rather be feasting today. For Katie, that would be going to Culver's. I mean, that's where she wanted to feast, was go get the ice cream. And I'd rather be doing that, but, but we're in the house of mourning. So that means we better figure out what can we learn while we're here. So it is, it's way too early to say we've fully figured this out. I don't think we ever will in this lifetime. But while we're in the house of mourning, we're told to learn lessons. So I wanna try and do some of that today by, by addressing Five big questions. How are you doing? What do you really believe? Where is God? What did I do wrong? And what now? So I'll start with the obvious one. How are you doing? Uh, people ask us that all the time. And if you ask Terry, my wife, how she's doing, she is going to answer like a visual thinker because she's told me I just can't even see in color right now. If you ask me how I'm doing, I would, I would take a line from a, a book another grieving dad wrote, and he said, my eyes may be clear, but my mind is not. It feels a lot right now like my head's full of cotton and I'm wearing big mittens 
I'll, I'll be in the middle of a situation and I'm there, but I'm kind of not because my mind is still tied to everything that's happened. It has been a, a lot of change to manage all at once. Terry was a 24-7 caregiver for 21 years. And one night, she lost her job and her child. We went from caring for a person who needed us to do everything for her to being empty nesters in one night. Most people get 18 or 20 years to work their way toward that. And there's one specific part of this that it's troubling as a Christian, but I wanna talk about it because I'm sure a lot of you have experienced that. During the first couple of weeks specifically, I knew I should pray, but I could not get anything to come out. My prayers basically consisted of just saying help. Let me sleep was my number one one. Just get these images out of my mind. There's things I don't wanna see. And I knew I should be reading the Bible I'm a pastor, right? That's what I tell you all the time. I know I should read the Bible. I know especially the Psalms will be helpful to me, but I couldn't get my mind to even get through a sentence and make sense of it when I was reading it. So finally on the third day, that happened to be Christmas morning, uh, I told Terry, I'm gonna go to the gas station and get a cup of coffee just because I need somewhere to go. I need to move. So I walked to the quick trip. And if you remember on Christmas morning, it was pouring rain. So here is this guy on Christmas morning by himself in the rain, crying and drinking quick trip coffee. And I'm like, this is the most grieving thing I could do, right? Here I am. Felt like I was in a movie. But I, was, I put my headphones in. I was listening to Psalms as songs. Like, I just got to get scripture into my head any way I can. So what I'm saying is you do what you can when you're stunned and when you're hurting. Don't feel bad if that's all you can do for a while. And what I'd also say, everyone has been great to us. I'm gonna talk about that later, so don't think I'm saying they haven't. I just wanna offer this advice. When you're around grieving people, don't judge how they're doing it, okay? If, if someone's still bursting into tears months or years later, don't say they're not getting over it like they should. If somebody goes back to work the next day, don't say they're, they're moving on too quickly. We all do it differently. So I'd say give people grace. Let them express grief in the way that works for them, especially if you haven't been through that specific thing that they have. So that's the initial answer to how are, how are you doing? But to really get at that, we need to look at these other questions. And the big question that a trial like this makes us deal with is what do you really believe? Again, on the third day, Christmas day, a friend of mine came over on Christmas morning. He left his family's event to come over and, and give me a book. And it's by a pastor and writer named Tim Challies who lost his son three years ago at the age of 20, completely out of the blue, died at college. And Tim Challies says that the day they got that call, a couple of hours later, he told his wife, we are going to do this like Christians. We didn't consciously pledge to do that. But, but we have discovered that if you slice us all the way down, if you cut all the way to the core of who we really are, past all the religious habits, past the things that we say in public, we've discovered we really do have this core faith in the word of God. And we really do have a core faith in Jesus Christ. We've discovered what we really believe. Katie's funeral, we sang the song, I Will Wait For You, which is taken from Psalm 130. And afterwards, someone told me, it was amazing to see you worshiping to that song at your own daughter's funeral. And what I, 
it's important to understand, I wasn't worshiping as much as I was begging for help. Because that song that we sang, we, I put it in the funeral service because that is the song I put in my headphones and played on repeat over and over again all night in the first few days just to help me try to get to sleep. The song that we sang publicly was the same one that I was listening to privately because that shows what we actually believe. You know, you think about one of the main things Christians tell each other when, when we lose a loved one who was a believer. We say, well, at least you know they're so much better off now because they're with Jesus, right? Well, all of a sudden, it matters a lot to me whether I actually believe that's true because I've got skin in the game now. And I, let's be honest, you know, I think about every culture has some version of a story about how people who die go to some kind of paradise, don't they? So I started thinking, how do I know I'm not embracing a myth? How do I know that this girl we spent 21 years caring for is in, is in better hands now? How do I know she's being taken care of? And the answer is, it's true because I know I have the word of God in front of me. My confidence in where Katie is, it doesn't rest in some hand-me-down spiritual tradition. It's not some version of heaven where everybody sits on a cloud and plays a harp. Uh, it's not a hand-me-down belief that everybody becomes a butterfly or an angel or something like that. I have scripture telling me what I can confidently believe in. When Christians say to each other, we don't mourn like those who have no hope, that's not just a Christian cliche. That is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are quoting the Bible when we say that. I know that Katie is perfect now and joyous now because Revelation 21 says it's true. I'm confident that God grants grace to people like Katie and infants and people who can't make a decision on their own. I know he grants grace to them because I have 2 Samuel 12, the story of David's son, where David says, I will go to be with him. God is saying, I will take mercy on these people. That's where I get what I believe. It's from scripture. But what you believe isn't just about where your loved one goes. It's about how you manage this on this side, in this life. Last week, I was asking myself, how, how are we actually even doing as well as we are? I mean, really, how, how are we even functioning through all this? And the answer is our faith. And specifically, it is a faith that survives when a fire comes and it burns away everything that's fake. When that fire comes in, it, it burns away anything you were just doing for show. And the fire burns away anything you're doing just because your parents did it or because you think it, it makes you fit in with a certain group. All that's left behind is what you actually do believe. And I wanna say this clearly. I am convinced that my faith has preserved my mental health for the last month. Now that is not saying that faith prevents hardship. And I'm not saying faith, people with faith don't run into mental health issues, they do. What I'm saying is that it, that is what has held me together. It is what has allowed me to be struck down but not destroyed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. A songwriter named Andy Squires said it like this, speaking of God, in the winter, I believe you. In the springtime, I see you. In the winter, I believe you. In the springtime, I see you. That is how we're doing this. We keep going by relying on what we know is true, even when all we see is the pain. Many people have said, I can't imagine going through what you are. Well, I want you to. Imagine this happening to you. 
because you need to think through this. What would you be holding on to right now if this is where you were? I urge everyone here, get serious right now about what you believe. Figure out your beliefs because you're going to need it. When you find yourself in the darkest valley, you can start looking for God then. He will be there whenever you look for him. But wouldn't you rather have that light with you from the first step in the valley? You know, during those first days when, when I couldn't even get a prayer out, when I would just say help, I remember at one point, all I could pray was Yahweh. I just grabbed onto the name of God and I said it. And you think, well, is that prayer gonna get you anywhere? You're not asking for anything. It does, because here's what I know. In the back of my mind, I knew a prayer that simple was enough because the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I didn't study that doctrine in the middle of this and figure it out for the first time when this was happening. I knew this. I knew it from years of studying the word. And I'm so glad that this truth was there for me to grab onto when the darkness hit. The next question people ask all the time is where is God? Even people who believe the Bible ask this one. People in the Bible ask this one. Look at Psalm chapter 42. This, this kind of thing appears all through the Psalms. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse nine says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Those words sound familiar. Jesus himself asked that on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I've been thinking about this question of where are you God? What are we really asking when we ask that? When we ask, where is God? I think what we're actually saying is, where is God to come fix this? We think just because our problem doesn't go away, we think he hasn't showed up. But what God has been showing me this last month is God shows up in a lot of ways. I'm gonna give you three of them. Even when the heartache continues, he's still showing up. Number one, he shows up through the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. God is present with you through the Spirit. When Romans 8 says the Spirit intercedes for us, that's God showing up. That means he's right there beside us, praying for us. Every time I have somehow fallen asleep, despite things I don't want to see in my mind, I wake up and think that was only through the comfort of the Spirit that I even slept. The second way he shows up is his written word. We take this for granted. How do I know anything I know about God? How do I know he's in control of all things? How do I know he actually loves us? How do I know Katie's in a better place? I know it because it's written in the word of God. He shows up, he shows us himself through this book. Without it, I would be completely in the dark. I wouldn't have any idea what's even true. And thirdly, God shows up through his people. Never underestimate how God is showing up through his people. I've always, I've been in church, I mean, I can't remember a time I wasn't as a kid. And I've always kind of made this joke. Here's how I learned to mourn from the good church going folk I grew up around. You tell them their loved one's in heaven now, you give them a casserole, and then you never bring it up again. That's, that's 
kind of what I learned. And I am so glad to say that my present Christian family has shown me a very different way in the last month. People have filled our home. People have invited us over. Basically, people have said, you never have to be alone. We're here. And they followed through on that. One friend came to our house with his guitar and he sang to us in our living room. People filled a church to tell us what Katie meant to them. At the funeral, I I shared that through this, the old movie, It's a Wonderful Life, remember that one with Jimmy Stewart? This old movie, it came to mind. Um, In that, at the end of that movie, the character named George Bailey is convinced his life has been a complete failure. He's broke, he thinks he's made no difference, he thinks nobody cares. And then he stands speechless as all of his friends and neighbors start piling into his house and they're bringing handfuls of cash and pocketfuls and baskets of money in order to bail him out. And one guy says to George, people didn't even ask questions when they heard the news. They said, George is in trouble, we're here to help. And I have been George Bailey for the last month. Most of you probably know what it's like. You've been through funerals. Most of you know what it's like to get hit with a bill for a funeral. It's this giant unexpected expense that someone hands you at the worst moment of your life. And we had that. A couple of days after we went to the funeral home for that meeting nobody wants to have. And a couple of days later, Pastor Dave came by our house and he said, the, the people of Lakeside want to help you with the cost of this. But he said, actually, it's more than that. The people of Lakeside have paid the entire bill for you. All of it. There's no way to say what that means when people do that kind of thing for you. I am George Bailey. I'm standing in the living room. Everyone is coming around saying, let me carry as much of the burden as I can. What can I take off your shoulders? And I want you to understand it wasn't just us that Lakeside did this for. It's not just pastors. There was the transmission that your gifts paid for for someone when she couldn't pay for it herself. There have been rent payments made for people who couldn't make them through your gifts. There have been utility bills paid through your gifts. A couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with uh, a young man who wants to be a missionary. And he said, you know, I've been reading the book of Acts and I read in there how the early church had all things in common, as it says in Acts, meaning they shared all their resources. They didn't own stuff individually. And he said, I wonder sometimes if we're missing, missing something, that our churches don't do that today. And I said, well, hang on, let me tell you what's been going on at Lakeside. And I said, maybe that'll change your opinion of what the church does today. We don't live in a commune but so many of you in this room, you said, let me give you some of what I have to help solve your problem. That's straight out of the book of Acts. Church is living that. And the way that God shows up sometimes through his people, it gives you goosebumps. Katie's funeral was on Saturday, December 30th. And I got a text from a friend that morning. This is the the actual text he sent me. Said, not trying to bombard you with texts, but my daughter was praying before bed last night and she said, Jesus, just help Pastor Trevor know you're still there. She doesn't even know, but that's a pretty profound prayer from a 
four-year-old. Wanted to share that with you. Look at the timestamp on that. Can you see it? It says 10.55 a.m. The funeral visitation started at 11 o'clock. Five minutes before that started, I got this. What four-year-old thinks of something like that? You can't tell me God was not speaking through a kid. And you can't tell me God didn't move my friend. He didn't have to send me that text. He was out of state at the time. But he thought enough to say, I'm gonna send this to him and it arrived five minutes before this started. That is God saying, I'm still here. And I'm gonna tell you that through my people. Keep serving people like that, all those ways. Keep doing that. The theme of so many of Lakeside's sermons already this year has turned into organically, just hospitality, being with people, letting them know you care. Keep doing that. Take action on these messages that we're talking about. That's what Christians do. And in our specific case, it is the way to honor Katie. I recently read this story about an old man who carried a little wooden box around with him everywhere he went. And everybody in town was dying to know what's in that box. And he never said. But when he passed away, someone finally got their hands on it and they opened the box. And inside were two little kids' toys that had belonged to his daughter who had died when she was a little girl. And he carried those around to keep her memory close. And I read that and I thought, what, what would I put in a box to commemorate Katie if I wanted to keep her close? What would I carry around? And I couldn't think of a single thing because guess what? Stuff didn't matter to her. She didn't care about objects, she cared about people. And I thought if I'm gonna keep her close, I gotta keep people close. That's what she always wanted to do. And I want everybody to do the same thing. And when you do go to somebody who's hurting, don't get stopped because you don't know what to say. We do that all the time. We're like, I can't think of the right thing to say. So I wanna give you four great questions that people have asked me during this month. File them away and use these when you're talking to somebody who's hurting. The first one, I had two different people ask me this. They said, I've got kind of a weird question. Do you want me to ask about this or not ask about this? What a great question. What they're saying is, you tell me how you want this conversation to go and I'll go with you, where, whichever direction you want to go. And the answer depends on the hour. Ask them that. I had someone ask me, what did you learn from Katie in her 21 years? Man, what a great question. That gives me a chance to reflect on everything she meant to me, how I'm not the same person I would have been if she hadn't been in my life. And then lastly, two questions someone asked me. They said, what's been the hardest part of all this? And what's been the best part? The hardest part says, I'll enter into your pain with you. Go ahead and lay it on me. I'll sit right beside you while you talk about it. And the best part makes me look at, well, is there a best part? Yeah, there's, there's things I've seen through this. It makes me see positives. But above all, when someone is hurting, show up. Just show up and be beside them. Because when someone sees you sitting beside them, they very well might realize God is sitting beside them because you're there. Show up for them. The next question is one it descends on almost all of us. When something heartbreaking occurs, we ask, what did I do wrong? or the extension of that, what I do to cause it sometimes. I recently read a novel that had this idea in it. It's not a biblical idea, okay, but it was in the novel. 
And the, the author imagined that when people die, they go to this library and someone hands them a book that lists all of their regrets. And I can tell you, when, when you have a child pass away unexpectedly, you feel like you added 100 pages to that book overnight. All the regrets. And my regrets and my what ifs, they have threatened to overwhelm me sometimes. But yet again, what I knew from the Bible before all of this came to my rescue. I know we did everything we could for Katie. And I know God is ultimately in control of everything. I can't interrupt his timeline, no matter how hard I try. And even if I did figure out that I made some great mistake, I have to remember verses like Isaiah 43, 25. God is speaking. He said, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. What a promise. God does have a book, but it's not a book that lists all of our regrets and all of our mistakes. Revelation 21 tells us it's called the book of life. And that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only one who can pay for your sins, your name is written in that book. And if your name is written there, you will spend eternity in God's presence, in perfection, with Jesus, in utter joy. If you have embraced Jesus as your savior, listen to this, there is no record of your sin. It's erased as if it never existed. All that's written down is your name as one who gets to spend eternity with God. But keeping our regrets in place, it is a daily battle, isn't it? One day I was writing my journal a couple weeks ago and I found myself starting to write down all the ways I'd failed Katie. And then I started writing down the ways I'd failed the people who loved her. And in that moment, this is God showing up through the Holy Spirit. In that moment, a truth from scripture popped into my mind. Satan is the accuser. He's the accuser. That phrase comes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says that Satan spends his days and nights accusing the faithful to God. We see him doing it. Job chapter one, he does it to Job. But John 8:44 tells us Satan is a liar. It says that is his native tongue. He knows how to do nothing but lie to us. The Bible is telling he's lying to you. He is accusing you of things in order to destroy you. We have to understand his tactics. This is what he's coming at us with. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we should not be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. We know his game. He is going to bring accusations at us. And the good news, that's literally what the word gospel means. Literally, the good news is that the Bible tells us Satan's charges won't stick if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. They cannot stick to you. The accusations won't stick. You're forgiven because we have received God's mercy by trusting in Christ. Romans 8, 33 and 34 speaks to this. It says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, there's that word again, interceding for us. He is speaking on our behalf against the lies. These truths keep picking me up off the floor. 
Every time my own flesh and Satan accuse me of the things I could have done differently. We cannot let Satan take us out of the game because of his accusations, even if they're true. Even if they're true, they're forgiven. You have to take your regrets to the cross probably every single day. You go to the foot of the cross and you see all your mistakes nailed right there, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ if you follow him. They were all paid by a God who loves us enough to wipe away every failure you've ever had. So now the last question, what, what now? Where do we go from here? Well, my guidance for that, again, is gonna come through God showing up through his people. The week of the funeral, Pastor Pat from Sailorville, who used to be our pastor before we came to Lakeside, he was reading in his personal time in the word, he came to Psalm 84, and he came out of the room and he went to his, he was gonna go tell his wife, I just read Psalm 84, and I think I should send this to Terry and Trevor, I think it'll encourage him. Well, before he could say that, his wife came out of the room and said, you know what I was reading? Psalm 84, I think we should send this to Terry and Trevor. Don't tell me God's not moving, okay? God, this is how he speaks to us. So specifically what they sent me was Psalm 84, verses four through seven. We read this earlier. This, this one here is from the Christian Standard Bible. So I like a couple of the translations it makes here. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. And I like this translation because of that phrase, those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. A pilgrim knows they're just passing through. A pilgrim knows they're on the way to something better. And there's nothing you wanna hear more than that when you're in the house of mourning, that I'm on a journey to something better. Verse six says, as they're passing through the valley of Baca, that is a place of despair. That is a place of hopelessness. And it says, as you're passing through this valley, there will be enough rain to give you enough water to keep you alive. And the writer tells us God leads us from strength to strength. The, the image there is an oasis. God leads us from one pool of water to the next pool of water, just when you need it. This passage, it got me thinking about the first time I took a backpacking trip into Southern Utah in the desert. I was leading a group of guys. I'd never been to this part of the country before. And we started out from this old uranium mine. It's called the Hidden Splendor Mine. And our goal was to hike seven miles out into the canyons and we were gonna camp for the week next to this, a spring, only water in the area. And the only reason I knew the spring was there because I had bought this old desert guidebook. There was this old desert rat that had written this guidebook and he had all these hand-drawn maps and he'd said, there's a spring at the end of this one canyon, seven miles out. So we take off and we start hiking and it got long we are wandering through these towering canyon walls and it is so desolate out there. It's easy to believe no one has walked on this trail in 20 years. I mean, there's not even a trail. You're just following the canyon. There's nobody around. And I'm looking around and there's evidence there has been water here because I can see where it's like cut rivulets and it's cut these canyons, but there's not a drop in sight, nothing but dust. 
And as we're hiking, the doubts start to creep into my mind, but I'm not saying that out loud to these guys that are following me. (laughs) But I'm starting to wonder, is this spring even up there? And when they're not looking, I get out of the backpack and I dig out this guidebook and I'm starting to look at this guy's little hand-drawn maps. I'm trying to figure out, does it seem like I'm on the right trail? Because I'm banking everything on the fact that that spring's gonna be out there. And the afternoon goes on and the water bottles get empty. And now I'm in this position of trying to decide, are we better off to keep going or better off to go back? And I decide we're gonna press on, we keep going. So finally, we come to this canyon. I can see it's a box canyon. And I'm thinking that's exactly what's described in the book. It says you're gonna come to a box canyon. And we follow it all the way to the end and I come to this spring of water. It's not big, it's about two feet across, but it's clear and it's cool and it's enough to keep us alive for the entire week. And I had put my faith in that spring being there because I had a guidebook from some guy I've never even met and I was staking my whole life on the fact he was telling me the truth about that water being there. How do we do this? How do we go day by day? Because we have a book telling us where the water is. It's telling us the spring will be there when you need it, even if you're crawling from one spring to the next. And it says God will send you the strength when you need it. And right now I feel like we need an oasis every hour. And eventually maybe I'll need an oasis every few days. And eventually maybe the space between them stretches out, but we're always going to need it. God promises we can make the whole journey that way. And we have learned that it it surprises some people when they see a Christian making their way through a pilgrimage like this. Before the funeral, Terry told someone that she was praying that someone would come to know Jesus through this. And the person was amazed saying, "How, how can you be thinking about someone else's soul when you're mourning your own daughter? I've even marveled at myself. I've marveled at how thoroughly I really do believe all this. I believe Katie's with him now. And I believe there is some greater purpose God's gonna use all these things for. That doesn't mean my heart doesn't hurt every hour. But I actually do find real joy in knowing where she is. And I find real joy in what I've seen from the people of God ministering to us through this. This writer, Tim Challies, he said that our grief is something we must steward as certainly as we must steward every other gift we get, our money, our time, our talent. Grief is what he's given us. And we have to ask, how do we honor him through this? We honor him by making sure anyone who watches sees that a faith in Jesus Christ does make a difference in every aspect of our lives, even the painful ones. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, famous verse says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's saying whatever you do, do it to God's glory. That means feasting and that means mourning. We have to find a way to glorify God through this. Now, I I know I have thrown a lot at you this morning. It's a lot of heavy. On a day we're here to celebrate our kids. But I'll be honest, I hope 
this morning shakes you up a little bit. I hope it gives you pause. Whether you're a professing Christian or if you're someone with almost no interest in spiritual things, I hope this makes you think, what do I believe actually? Deep down, not on the surface, but in the core, what do I actually believe? If you're a Christian, I hope your heart is aching for the people around you who you love who don't know Christ yet. The people who aren't certain that when their heart beats for the last time, they don't know if they're gonna step into the presence of God or not. So many people have said, if there's anything we can do for you, anything at all, let us know. And I know they mean it. I'm gonna let you know right now, what you can do for a grieving father is listen to what I'm saying. Our lives are incredibly short. Most of the time as Americans, we bury it. We put death in the corner. We don't think about it. We don't have to dwell on it. But ever after what happened in our house, I suddenly, I see people differently. It's a weird feeling. Everybody I see, I look at, and I think they may not live to see the sunrise because now I know. I know how short it is and I know how quickly it changes. That realization of our lives, it's incredibly important. We have to get it through our heads. It's so important throughout history. Leaders have focused on this. Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander Alexander the Great, he paid a servant to stand behind him and once a day whisper into his ear, Philip, you will die so that we don't forget. If we truly absorb the fact that this life, it is no more than a blip in our eternal existence, It ought to change what we consider important. I suddenly have a really high interest in learning more about heaven. Go figure. I've been reading a book about heaven by a guy named Randy Alcorn, and he says in there, God uses suffering and impending death to unfasten us from this earth and to set our minds on what lies beyond. Everyone here, you're going to face eternity sooner than you think. Do this for me. Think seriously about where your hope lies. Think about it. I am trying to steward our grief by telling people, by telling all of you, your only hope in life and death is faith in Jesus Christ. I was thinking on Friday, Katie didn't have a will. She didn't really own anything. She didn't have anything to leave us. But it hit me on Friday, you know what? Actually, she did leave us an inheritance. She did leave us a bequest. What she left us was all the time that we were spending serving her. Now we have that. Now we have that available to serve other people. She left us an example of joyously embracing everybody she met. So to honor her, to use what she has left us, to do this like Christians, I'm asking you listen to these lessons from the house of mourning. Time is short. People are everything. God wants to show himself to you through Jesus Christ. Seek what's actually important while you still can. Please pray with me. Lord, it is so good to be here in a body of believers, to be surrounded by people who have done so much for us the people you have used to to speak into our lives. 
God, I can't put my eyes on you in a physical form, but I can put my eyes on your people. And that has been incredibly helpful. Thank you for leading us first into your family through salvation in Christ. And thank you specifically for leading us to Lakeside Fellowship to be part of this body. Lord, I I come up here today with, with open wounds. It's all very fresh. But I limped my way up here so that I could share what you've taught me so far. Lord, I know there are other people hurting deeply this morning. I just talked to someone between service who said today's the 10th anniversary of her brother passing away. Talked to a man who lost a son in a, in a plane crash nine years ago. Lord, there are many people mourning years on, and there are others I don't even know about. Lord, I pray that we can find each other. Help us to encourage one another, comfort one another. Help everyone to have a family like we do through Christ. Our hope rests in nothing except for the fact that Christ paid the price for us and guaranteed us eternal life if we trust in him. Thank you for that priceless comfort we have that Katie is perfect and she's dancing and she's joyous. Lord, all of us can be there too if we have our faith put in you. And I pray that for those of us who have to be behind in this life where it's not perfect and it's painful, just comfort us through your promises. I pray if anyone here today hears this and they wonder whether they can be really sure what's going to happen to them in eternity, I pray make today the day that they take stock of that and make today the day that they cast themselves on your mercy by putting their faith in Christ. God, our lives are short. They are like our breath on a cold day that is gone one second after it leaves our mouths. I pray that anyone who is wondering where they stand eternally won't wait another day. And God, I pray that you will use Katie's passing, use our grief. Make our story something that will cause someone to consider what they believe and to turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.